Ben Greenfield is a best-selling author, biohacker, but more than anything, he's a man that walks the walk, lives the life from the physical, the mental, the emotional to the spiritual. He's always pushing himself and his family to reach for their highest potential. Every time I sit down with him, I feel like I learn how to be a better version of myself. And this podcast is a great example of that. This episode is brought to you by Higher Dose, higherdose.com, promo code AMP75, by JustWorks, justworks.com, by the Fit for Service Fellowship, aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice, and by Onnit, onnit.com slash Aubrey. This podcast with Ben Greenfield offered me a pearl of inestimable value. And that was the idea that instead of constantly focusing on our death, like the Stoics say, memento mori, which can give the prescience and the urgency to living life, but can also put you in a hurry, what if you lived like you were going to live forever and had the freedom to explore all of the different things that your spirit was called to? That's something that I think about every day since the taping of this show. And also, he has amazing practices for yourself, for your family. You'll leave this episode a better version of yourself than when you arrived, and that's why I love talking to Ben Greenfield. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Higher Dose. Now, Higher Dose has some pretty incredible tech that they're making available for home use. So they have basically a pad that you can lay out, lay out on the ground like it is in my living room, or lay it out on a massage table or lay it out on a bed. And in this pad, this pad that is layered with different crystals, different structures, that pushes both infrared and pulse electromagnetic field through the pad. Now, this is something that if you haven't experienced it, it doesn't mean much to you. But let me just tell you what it feels like when you're on there. It feels kind of warm and it feels kind of relaxing at first. But the longer you stay on it, the more you start to feel this lightness and this euphoria and this deep relaxation come over you. And it's something that you might not notice right away. But as you lie there, as you allow the infrared and you allow the pulse electromagnetic field to work, you'll start to feel significant changes. Great for a meditation practice, great for taking those midday naps, great for a journey if you want to go on a journey on the mat. There's also a lot of benefits to both infrared and the PEMF. So I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to higherdose.com, use the promo code AMP75 to save $75. And really though, this is something that's worth trying if you're able to. Higherdose.com, promo code AMP75 to save $75 off. Next up, we have Just Works. Now, when I was starting on it, there wasn't anything like just works. So I had to figure a bunch of stuff out. I mean, I ran a small boutique marketing agency, but it was basically me and a couple contractors that were working together. But on it was a different beast. And every step of the way, every time we would grow, we would have to solve problems ourselves. Just works solves a lot of those problems, helping you manage remote employees, onboarding these employees, talking about employment and tax regulations and requirements that are difficult to understand on your own. You can get national health insurance plans for your employees. You can save a lot of hours on tracking all the things that sync with payroll, and you get access to 24-7 support. This would have been 
such a savior for me back in the early days, back in 2011, 2012, 2013. So if you're starting a business now, no need to struggle with all this. Focus on what you can do to make your business awesome. Focus on what you're a specialist at. And probably you're not a specialist at any of these things that I just mentioned, but JustWorks is. So check it out. Go to JustWorks.com for more info. Once again, that's JustWorks.com for more info. Next up, I want to talk to you guys about Fit for Service. Now, if you follow me at all, you understand that Fit for Service is a major part of my life. It's actually one of the things that I enjoy the most because I really get to work with people hands-on. Of course, I make podcasts and I make posts and I share information. I write books. I do all of these things. But very rarely do I get to sit down with somebody or be in a room with somebody and be a part of facilitating real transformation. And that's what we get to do with Fit for Service. And of course, part of the transformation is that you're in a community of like-minded people all transforming together. There's also a lot of other master coaches and great musicians and talents that we're bringing in for the Fit for Service Fellowship to support it. But more than anything, it's the idea, the idea that by joining this, you are dedicating yourself and making a commitment to be more physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, financially fit, romantically fit, spiritually fit, so that you can ultimately serve yourself, your family, and the world to what you're capable of, to be able to offer your medicine. But first, that requires that you have a healthy foundation, you have training of the mind, you can master your emotional capacity, you can forge stronger spiritual connection, you can understand the romantic opportunities and entanglements you might be caught in, you can develop a financial base from which to build your platform and all of the allies to help support you. This is what we all need, essentially, to be able to offer what we're capable of to the world. And that's what we're doing with Fit for Service. We're open now for applications for trimester three. We're going to Sedona, my spiritual home, with some of my great teachers and masters, Porangi, Anahata Ananda. We have musical guest Yaima coming in. It's going to be an exceptional experience. We're exploring the duality of the masculine and feminine archetypes within to create a truly balanced expression where both of these twin dragons are celebrated. So I hope to see some of you there. If you feel called, please apply. Go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. Fill out the application. Once again, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. And I'll be giving some of you who are listening to this right now a hug in a couple months and finally we have on it where i'm going to talk to you guys about our brand new product alpha brain black label alpha brain has been on its flagship for over 10 years and it's taken us over 10 years to formulate something that we could designate as the black label version of alpha brain something that's just a little bit more than what alpha brain was able to offer how did we do this? Well, one of the fundamental ways that Alpha Brain works is modulating the acetylcholine system. And we switched from Alpha GPC to a branded, tested citicoline called Cognizin, which is just a little bit sharper 
We obviously kept the Huperzia serrata, which is essential to helping you create a surplus of acetylcholine in your brain. And of course, acetylcholine is what offers that sharpness, that focus, that thing where you take alpha brain and you're just locked in the zone. But of course, we have a lot of other improvements. We added a little bit of caffeine to this formula because caffeine is also a nootropic. We added mucuna prurians, which works on the dopamine system, which is actually really important to give you that reward for locking in and staying focused. It's like we're building in the natural thing that you can develop when you actually stay on task and you get that feeling of, wow, I'm really going for it. I'm really doing that. Well, we can get that engine started a little bit earlier in this formula and it feels awesome we also have lion's mane which is one of the top nutritional mushrooms for the brain we added marigold extract and of course a lot of the other important heavy hitters like l-theanine phosphatidylserine this is the king formula for your brain now there's other formulas for your brain from other companies and they really just throw the kitchen sink this is still a very targeted formula that's designed to get you exactly where you're going myself and joe rogan we prefer the black label formula to the original formula i still use the original formula too but this one it's just it's just the black label it's just it's just the shit that's all i can really say so i encourage you guys to check it out give it a try if you're interested i think you'll be thrilled if you're a longtime alpha brain user great if this is your first dip in the water great i think you guys are really going to love it and just pay attention to what happens for the next six hours after you take it right like that's the whole point the whole point is what happens for that part of your day what can you accomplish what can you achieve what can you do when you take this that you wouldn't have done otherwise and you start stacking those things back to back your life starts to change and that's the whole point you know this is something that can just tip the scales in your favor and help you birth whatever wants to come out of you that day and bring the very best out of you. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey to save 10% off Alpha Brain Black Label and everything else. Once again, onit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Ben Greenfield. Ben Greenfield. Yes. And our cat children. Uh-huh. Well, not our cat children, not me and you, but me and my wife's. Yeah. And uh, they're going fucking wild. This is purposeful. Do you do this with podcast guests just to kind of get on their nerves? But the, let the cats unleash <laughs> yeah, in the room? Yeah, totally. Just let them run wild. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you practice for years, like meditating with your cats. And, well, you rub yourself yeah. with salmon jerky regularly as an uh, emulsifier. I rub myself in. with salmon jerky as an emulsifier. I, don't, I haven't tried salmon jerky yet. I tried coffee, ground coffee. Works pretty well. Yeah. Ground, ground coffee has a lot Unless of uses. Unless you're trying to attract bears or cats. Yeah. Have you ever used ground coffee as a meat rub? I have. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. 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 Ground coffee and ground uh, cacao nibs. Like if you mm-hmm. do the cacao tea Never stuff. Never done cacao nibs. It's pretty good. A little paprika, a little Well, cayenne, you are now the author of a, a cookbook. Salt. So, know. you know, you're kind of an authority on this shit. Well, no, I, I wasn't when I decided that I wanted to write a cookbook. I, I had total imposter syndrome. <laughs> then I wrote the cookbook because... Um, my wife's a really good cook. Like she's a mm-hmm. rancher girl, make everything from scratch. She taught my sons from like the age of four to make souffles and homemade ravioli and a risotto. And, you know, they do meat cooks and roast chicken, everything. And I kind of started to do a little bit of cooking. Like 
I don't know, like, man. We were in well, Hawaii. We were in Hawaii. We, we I mean, speared a bunch of fish. Yeah, and you could cook the little ones. Right. And yeah, you had to cook the big yeah, ones. Yeah, I did cook the shit out of that parrot fish stuff with the avocado <laughs> yeah, and the did, mango man. and the ground. The what we do like the mashed taro with coconut uh-huh. oil, macadamia. Nut. But and then you would but, eat those little tiny ones we caught whole. Yeah, those are good. <laughs> yeah. Like a whole fried. Like the one of the few times I'll have fried food is a whole fried fish. Yeah. where you can eat the tail and you can eat the head and like the whole thing's crunchy and fried mm-hmm. kind of like an underground pig roast where the whole thing becomes edible the ears the cheeks then i just did a 150 pound underground pig roast for my wife's 40th birthday and oh my goodness it, it was it was absolutely amazing not 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 only the meat the flavor that the meat gets after it steams and cooks for 12 hours yeah. under the ground but just the entire process of, of digging the pit and making the fire at 4 a.m. in the morning and burning it down to coals and then getting all these rocks. You don't get rocks from the river because they explode. So we use all these yeah, rocks from around like the house. Lodge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so uh, you, you stuff the pig with these rocks after they've heated on the fire for a couple of hours. And then you stuff the pig with banana leaves and, and you, you cut little slits all over in it and stuff all that with salt. You rub salt into it. And then it took five of us guys to carry it over into this giant pit that I had dug. We buried the pig, but before you bury it, you cover it with burlap sacks and a canopy and put about three gallons of water in there over the fire. And this steam just comes pouring up through the canopy. And then you cover that with dirt and you watch it for like an hour and continue to cover up the steam holes and, and get it all kind of settled in bed. Then you walk away. And I had a temperature probe in the ass and a temperature probe in the shoulder. And once it hits about 145, that's past raw pork temperature. Mm-hmm. But you want to get up to like 185, so you got like nice crunchy skin and, mm-hmm. and everything's just super cooked. And so um, we we dug up the pig. I had all the dinner guests arriving at 4. We were going to have dinner at 6. And I go out there at like 530, and it's about like 139, 140. And... Uh, so I, I had uh, 75 people at the party, so I called a bunch of the guys out. And we, all, we dug up the pig, and, and we just started cutting slabs off it, and we finished it on the Traeger, which was actually pretty good with a bunch yeah, of Hawaiian barbecue sure. sauce. Anyways, back to the cookbook. Um, what uh, you uh, see, when you ate those fish, yeah. that was one of those moments where, like, it's one of those times where I do a lot of things that are kind of manly, and then there's sometimes I meet somebody and like, oh, well, that's where this person is more manly than they me. They were raw fish. We cooked you, them up. You, I know, but you yeah. ate the whole face. Yeah. I, don't, I don't eat face. That's where the DHA is. And the where, face? Okay, so, so that- I just en- don't eat face. That entire pig's head <laughs> is in my freezer, and when, when I get home, I'm going to bake it with barbecue sauce. I bet sauce. you are. You're a face son cheeks, of a gun. The eyes, the nose, the ears, the cats are breaking stuff over here. Yeah, playing play, chess. Playing chess now. Um, so the cookbook thing, though, I wanted to go ape nuts on molecular gastronomy and like biohacking food and smoothies and cocktails with ketones and sous vide wands and pressure cookers and, you know, smoking and, and combining different cooking methods. So that that was why i wanted to do the cookbook yeah. was was just put all that together and um and what happened was i learned so much along the way that i freaking love to cook now like yeah. it, it's up there probably with my my you know my top few things to do like i i play tennis not baby tennis like you but real grown man tennis <laughs> i uh, will no, play you no, some grown man no, tennis no pickle, you face no eating motherfucker pickle, let's go pickle tennis pickle we don't even name pickle 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 um and then uh you know like uh like hanging out with my sons playing guitar sex and cooking 
Like I just absolutely. It's coming from the man who more often than not plays a baby guitar called a ukulele mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Not that I'm shitting on a ukulele. I like myself a ukulele. Guilty as charged. Ukuleles are up there with pickle for, for a baby word. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so uh, so I I put all this together. I, I did the cookbook. And like at the end of the day, I just love to cook. I mean, the end of the day, every yeah. every day at our house, at the end of the day is a party. Like what I mean by that is we don't necessarily have people over, but we gather the the the... I can't say the boys anymore. We were talking about this before the right. podcast. Rites Gather my son. Yeah, they've been through the rite of passage into adolescence, and I'm still working the boys word out of my vernacular, especially when I'm around them. I think that's really rad, by the way, is just a side note to stay on that tangent, is to make it real. Like if you go through a rite of passage, everything shouldn't be the same afterwards. That Your tribe, your family, your everybody should respond differently. Oh, everything that's changes. Huge. It's it, Not only do you have a, a ceremony, you know, like a not, not just a cutting of the cord ceremony, but they have a giveaway feast where they invite all the family, you know, grandpa and grandma and uncles and aunts and make a giant meal and give away gifts. And um, there, there was a ceremonial kind of fire afterwards, uh, actually up at Tim Corcoran's place, a previous podcast guest of yours, is who's mm-hmm. you know great wilderness survival instructor and also facilitates rites of passage up there in Idaho. And when they come home, you know, just just the vibe is different in terms of the chores that they are expected to do and the amount to which they're expected to pitch in to help with the house or even something like the family dinners I was talking about where, you know, they're, they're preparing a lot more and expected to do more, you know, prep and, and cooking and, and cleanup and chopping and blending and helping dad and mom in the kitchen. It just just everything is different in terms of, of what I expect of them yeah. and what they expect of themselves. And um, there's more responsibility. But at the at the end of the day, we all gather and it's like, you know, 7 p.m., work's done, and we make a glorious meal together. We sit and play games for like hour, hour and a half at dinner. We we drink wine, we taste olive oil, we try different spices. It's just like this giant That's feast. Awesome, and then we play music. You know, we we go up to the bedroom or up to the living room and play music, and they bust out the drums and the rattles. And then we go up and we read stories for like a half hour, just everybody laying in bed reading stories. And then we go to bed. And every single night's like that. And it's like my carrot on the end of a stick. Of course, after, after, man. Like when you're, when you're working during the day, you know every night you get this grand party with your family. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so fun. That's epic. I mean, I remember we didn't have that much ritual and intention to it with my family, but family dinners, you know, I had three older brothers, three younger sisters, and family dinners were a thing. My mom always would yeah. cook, and then I would be there. I learned a bit how to cook just because I was always hungry, and I was just kind of mm-hmm. hanging out watching her. And mm-hmm. I still like to cook, but... It's different when it's just now it's just me and Vi. And I'll cook mm-hmm. for her sometimes. And I usually cook most yeah. of the meals. But it's a different type of thing. You know, it's like kind of like is. with cooking for two is different than cooking for a family, you it's, know, or cooking for a dinner party yeah, or something like it's, that. It's a lot more chill, you know, because sometimes the boys, the, my sons, there I go again, <laughs> have a youth group or have something going on in the evening. And so like every Monday night, my wife, Jess, and I have Scrabble night. Where, and, mm-hmm. and typically it's like sushi and sashimi because I get this this sashimi grade fish and I make little poke bowls and sushi yeah. rolls and, and little sushi bites and stuff like that. And we, we eat sushi and play Scrabble every Monday night for you know, like a couple hours we'll play sometimes and, and mm-hmm. just go head to head on Scrabble and you know River and Terran get home and they always want to know who won and how the game <laughs> went. And sometimes they want us to like leave the game board out so they can see what kind of words we made and <laughs> how well we played. But it is a different vibe, and there's always that temptation. Just oh, let's 
let's go out to eat, let's order in from yeah. a restaurant. But yeah, but yeah, with with the whole family around, it's amazing. And then typically every Saturday or Sunday night, we just have a whole bunch of people over and do the same thing. With the exception being that we do all the sauna and ice beforehand. So I'll pile like six to eight guys in the sauna and we sit in there while the girls are all upstairs, you know, drinking cocktails or wine and hanging out mm-hmm. in the living room. And typically I've got some kind of meat on the smoker and then, you know, all of us guys shuffle out to the cold pool and do the cold soak. And then we all come inside famished and, and have this grand feast. And then same thing, we play music afterwards. Sometimes everybody squeezes into the bedroom for story time. And you know, it's kind of like what we do every night, but we just have a bunch of people over listening to that right like people probably know you as you know fitness biohacking human health kind of expert i mean you go real real deep with all that but there's no greater thing that you can do for the entirety of yourself holistically than the shit you're describing of course you mentioned a few things hot cold blah blah blah, but that type of community that type of family time the type of fun the joy and doing that it supersedes all some kind of extreme tweak on the diet where you're cutting all of this out and eliminating this and doing all this when you have love and that kind of connection i'll right. t- you know take that a thousand times over anything else right like that's the thing we know for example uh you know one of the longest lived humans on record of late jean i think her last name is calment from france mm-hmm. you know she, she lived a very long and happy life she smoked a cigarette every day she had a glass or, or a, a, a serving i think of, of scotch or whiskey or something like that she's getting a little bit of hormesis from her alcohol and and her carcinogens and she was always with people you know lots of glorious family hangouts and you know people always in the living room and, and that was one thing she was known for was relationships and love and family and I really did not have a lot of that prior to COVID because I was traveling. I was on an airplane, yeah. you know, every week I was still racing, you know, doing Spartans and triathlons. So I, you know, I'd have a race once or twice a month and, and I was rarely home to the extent where I felt any urge at all to build community. When I get home, I just want to be by myself or with my family. Mm. You know, I just want to check out and take a breath before the next big trip. Mm-hmm. And when I had, I mean, there was a period of time where I had like nine solid months at home without going anywhere. The incentive to go get to know the neighbors and to build a community and to start throwing dinner parties and to have people over and to get to know my own hometown with all these restaurants and museums and parks and hikes that had been neglecting for like two decades. I mean, it, it's it's completely changed the dynamic of living in my city and my community. Like, like I know my neighbors' names and, you know, ro- rode my bike through the neighborhood several months ago and just dropped off invitations in everybody's mailbox, you know, like a, like a paper boy and through this huge neighborhood party and realized I didn't even know like three quarters of the people who lived within a mile of me, you know, who it turns out they're all like 70 years old. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of funny because we threw this huge neighborhood party and my sons were the only kids there the only young people there but still the idea of community building and actually taking the reins because you assume that everybody else is like they know it and they prioritize it and everybody else is out getting to know their neighbors a lot of people aren't like they just don't do that and so you know, if, if everybody were to go out and get to know their neighbors and throw a neighborhood party and have community dinners, whatever, every Saturday night or every Sunday night, and, uh, you know, not only build the family community, but build a local community, I think that's one of the blessings of, of COVID actually is, is mm-hmm. people actually developing this amazing neighborhood and community. And it's just been 
it's been really special for me and and transformative in terms of the joy that you have after four hours of hanging out with your neighbors and eating food and making music and chatting it's 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 far more more fulfilling than like whatever meditation breath work in the sauna by yourself or any of you know any of the workouts or anything like that like it's just so meaningful it's it's interesting to talk about neighbors because i love cultivating community community is you know i have a deep deep network in many different communities you know we're having some of that community over for dinner right after this podcast right Mm -hmm. and but the idea of the the idea of the neighborhood it's always been like a fantasy but not a not a reality that i believe in you know because i remember in college you'd go to a dorm room and then all of a sudden all of the people and i lived in dorms for three years and you know little cinder block (laughs) blocks yeah but you get to know everybody and it was amazing i mean it's like the least luxurious place i've ever lived in my yep. life but it was probably the most fun right because it was a community like people's when people were ready to hang you just leave the door open and you just cruise down and be like yo you want to yeah. play nhl 99 yes we're yep. in like you want to do this you want to go like you know beer keg jousting or like, yeah. what do you want to do like let's let's do something and and throw the football or like chip a, chip a golf ball or go hoop or whatever else like and you just walk and you're just always around each other and if you're eating you don't eat alone you just kind of cruise around Mm -hmm. see who else is in there cruise in eat food and i think so many people are drawn to that again Mm -hmm. you know and it's the idea that it's you're you're already there i think is a cool idea to explore and then the other cool idea to explore is like curating that intentionally as well it's hard for men at least i I think the majority of men it it becomes harder to make friends it becomes harder to set your ego and your habits and your safety aside to actually have other guys over and you know have them into your domain and begin to branch out and and you know now you know i'm playing frisbee golf and paddle boarding and playing tennis and shooting hoops in the driveway and having guys over in the sauna and having these dinners where they're coming over with their families and it's really cool because you know, up until that point, I thought I had a lot of guy friends because I'm part of all these mastermind groups. Whenever I travel, mm-hmm. you know, I, there's all these these folks I'm hanging out with. But it's different when it's at home, and these are all people who just live a couple miles from you. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, my neighborhood's different. We're out in the middle of the forest. You know, really, a neighbor is somebody who's like a mile, a mile and a half away minimum. But it's it, I, I didn't really realize the absence of strong, close geographically meaning Mm -hmm. male friends in my life until i really started branching out like that and now it's it's just cool at the end of the day to know that you can pick up the phone or text somebody and have you know somebody meeting you at the river with the paddleboard like an hour later and a lot of times you think oh they're busy they're with their family they're doing their own thing but a lot of guys are all thinking that that every other guy is is busy with their family you don't want but you know, a lot of times you send a text and be like, yes, exclamation mark, let's do it. Thank you. <laughs> totally. And then afterwards, everybody, you know, they'll text you and say, oh, thank you for doing that. I needed to get away. You know, I, and, and it's just, it's really cool. To be able for to me, that. it's one of the things that's really necessary for me to bond with men is doing something that allows like that initial bridge to be, to be made, you know, so that's, that can be pickleball. That could be basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, I made a really good new friend recently um and it's just like you know met him 
oh yeah you know you play pickleball i play pickleball and then i always yeah. look at him like do you really play pickleball yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. i was like all right we'll give it a go and visiting then- <laughs> instagram looking through his story and his videos where's the shot of this guy play? i yeah. just gotta i gotta stop him but he comes while. over and he you know plays a good game and we have and then we start talking in between games as other people are playing and then but that thing of like competing together is a real key part of kind of branching out so there's like the basketball squad now the pickleball squad yep. and then there's a shooting squad and the tactical shooting squad and then there's mm-hmm. the you know the on it squad on it workout squad there's all of these different groups and we have a men's group and it's pretty fucking cool to feel that starting to come together in all those ways but for those people listening and just from my own advice and maybe you're like me if you're if you're a guy like an activity building it around that activity has been the thing that makes it so much easier for men especially and i, and I read this in a book recently I, I don't recall the name of the book but men form friendships around activities and women often form friendships in just like a a social gathering setting you know not necessarily playing pickup basketball or pickleball or or frisbee or whatever but just you know sitting around at a restaurant or in a living room or, Mm. or whatever the case may be um men tend to form close friendships and bonding friendships around either doing hard things or doing adventures or just going out and, and playing together. Yep. And it's kind of funny because that happens to me sometimes. Like I'll invite somebody out for uh, Frisbee golf, right? And the nature of Frisbee golf is such that you don't do a lot of talking. Like you're off in two different directions, throwing your Frisbee, <laughs> you meet up at the hole and you mm-hmm. chat and then you throw again and off you go. But there's like this invisible bond that gets formed yeah. as you're just doing that same thing together that 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 i think men especially tend to develop good friendships around and for women i think that that is something that it's it's not like it's not available there but maybe the inclination isn't i don't know i think i feel like it's a it's almost like a technology for community building that is underutilized by yeah. women and it's not because it's not that it doesn't work because it absolutely does but it's just i think it's using the same kind of ideas to get around that because what i've seen a lot of times is women will kind of hang on like hang on to friends like a lot like friends Mm -hmm. that because it's not activity based it's like oh i'm gonna go see so-and-so but they're not really excited to see so-and-so it's just like they've seen so-and-so for 20 years they're totally different people now but this is like a habitual thing but because there's no activity that keeps it fresh and makes it like all right this is something interesting that we're doing and if you can't keep up well you you know might not get invited to that activity we'll find something else but it keeps this thing like a like a river that's just the water is circulating or a healthy pond where there's always fresh water going in and let's face it like women in general are just naturally for the most part stronger social creatures yeah they they i don't think they need as much built-in technology (laughs) and trickery as us guys do to make friends like they like my my wife you know just walking to a party and have like six friends and i'll be standing there in the corner waiting for somebody to throw me a football or something (laughs) so i can make a friend you know yeah yeah that's that's very fair that's very fair yeah um community being probably the most important thing that we have and we've talked about a lot of the other simple stuff when you start to analyze someone like let's say you go in blank slate you're looking at somebody and you start addressing you know some of the some of the other big things that you see people missing that you find really valuable um things that aren't inherently obvious but where do you start where do you start looking 
I think that one thing that you and I both know a lot about that you can identify pretty quickly in someone is their connectivity to breath. Like just the way that someone is breathing, you know, watching everything from nasal breathing to how they breathe in response mm-hmm. to stress to how they carry their breath when they're exercising or, or when they're speaking with you. Um, that that's one thing that I think should be built into the core educational curriculum of every young human on the face of the planet is the ability to be able to have an intimate understanding of the best dial that we have built into our physiology for amping up or amping down our nervous system. And so I, I think that breath and relationship with one's own breath is one thing that that I think um, think it, it, it's something that says a lot about a person, just just how they breathe. So that'd be one um, that I think a Everybody lot of people are missing out breathing on. Breathing way better right now after. Yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> they're like, like uh oh, <laughs> people are now judging me based on how I'm breathing. Yeah, right. for sure. Got to make sure my belly button's visibly moving through my shirt now. Um, I, I think that. Um, there, there are certain core practices, again, apart from exercise or biohacking or eating healthy that, um, that, that are, that are just built into my core now. Uh, for example, like, like our, our morning and evening meditations that we do as a family, like they're just, they're, they're something that we now all do when we're traveling when we're apart, we hold each other accountable, uh, we gather every single morning on the porch and typically you know i these days i get up about 3:45 or 4 a.m. and i just i work for like 3 or 4 hours not just work but i do all my stretching and having my coffee and doing my red light and sometimes hitting the sauna or doing the cold pool and you know i like to have a lot of my day done now by about 8 a.m. But around seven thirty, in, in terms of having like eaten the frog and got my body ready and feel mm-hmm. like if if nothing else happens that's productive, the whole rest of the day I've actually made a really good dent in things. Mm-hmm. And and I always just thought it was absolutely crazy when I would see guys like you know Jocko or whatever you know show their four a.m. you know clock and and I had lots of fears about that. Like I'm going to be tired in the afternoon. Um, I'm not going to be able to make love with my wife because we're on different schedules now and she likes to sleep till seven and I'm in bed now at like nine and we're like ships passing in the night and you know, that didn't happen. Um, the afternoon tiredness I found is easily solved. Like even if you're sleeping six hours with like 10 to 30 minutes of a really good nap, it it, it seems to replace, you know, a good 90 minute sleep cycle. And, And once I found that out, it was like one to two extra hours every single day. Um, that's the biggest thing for me. And that was, I think you might've turned me on to his book, Nick Littlehale's book, which uh, mm-hmm. guided a lot of those principles. Yeah. And for, a lot of people uh, know about day. Nick. They talk more about Matthew Walker or, or Michael Bruce or, um, I love Nick's, uh, I love Nick's philosophy. Yeah. It really, I, I really feel it like somatically feel it to be true mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that 30 minute, 20 to 30 minute nap mm-hmm. is just as good as an extra an hour and a half. Of yeah. Sleep. Yeah, and and it can be you know something like uh, Doctor Andrew Huberman talks about like a yoga nidra cycle. Uh, I like to use yeah, the I like to use the uh, yeah the non sleep deep rest protocol. I like to use the new calm. Like that's mm-hmm. typically what I'll do. And yeah, I'll I'll put on like some kind of device to shift me into that state even more quickly. Like like an Apollo uh, for the vibration therapy yeah, or I just like had like Dr. Dave the. Uh, on. 
the uh, the Hap B is another one I really like. It'll simulate. Just got like, that one. Haven't tried it yet. <laughs> the, theobromine or caffeine or MDMA or like CBD or melatonin or adenosine. Like it'll just simulate any of those. And I like the. No way. I like the CBD. I gotta put that yeah, that, that that's what they do. And they just they just added uh, they just added theobromine. I didn't even try it. So yet. you I can just, you you plug in MDMA protocol. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be like the um, I forget which one that I think that might be the social one. There's another one that's alcohol. Yeah. I actually put I, I put it on my son Taryn one night at dinner just just to see, and he got all like loopy and goofy. And when I put the alcohol one on, the best way I can describe it is that I feel like I've had like three cocktails when I've had like half a glass of wine, right? And but so wait, how does this thing work? It's like it, a, it's it, like a halo it, that goes around your it, head, but exactly, it goes around your head or around your neck. It's a magnetic signal that's imprinted with the same frequency as whatever molecule that they're trying to simulate. And it causes the same electrical reaction within the cell. But the cool thing is, as soon as you flip it off, that molecule is no longer hanging around in your bloodstream. Right. Right. So I can have it on caffeine. As soon as I turn it off, it's not as though I'm up for four hours with disrupted sleep. It's like as soon as you turn it off, the alertness goes away. So how do you measure the frequency of a chemical like MDMA or alcohol? Giant underground silo built deep within the ground, <laughs> protected uh -huh. from all other frequencies that you then isolate that molecule in and measure the magnetic Wait, you're not kidding. frequency. And the, the reason this sounds silly is because it sounds like I'm kidding. And then I talk to their scientist who does all this, and that's basically what they have. Whoa, I thought and they've you like, were like talking licensed, about No, they've shit. licensed this technology from some FDA, you know, medically cleared um, uh, uh, wearable that was originally designed for something like epileptic seizures or something like that. I, I forget, but they've they've done that same thing. And I didn't really believe it until I started to use it, and it actually works remarkably well remarkably right. well yeah but anyways i put the cbd on for for the nap and back back to the reason that i do that is because about 7 30 after i've kind of done all my morning stuff i gather the family on the porch and we all sit cross-legged in the sunshine or if it's the winter we, you know we're in the living room by the fireplace and we we basically all have a journal and we close our eyes for one minute and just connect to our body just breathe and connect to our body and then I have this little ding that goes on on the Insight Timer app on my phone. I just have it programmed for seven minutes. So after mm -hmm. the first minute, then it dings. And for the next two minutes, all we do is gratitude. And we have our journal there that we can stop to write what it is we're grateful for about. But those two minutes, is just all gratitude, breathing the gratitude into your heart center and writing down what it is you're grateful for. And then the next two minutes are dwelling upon who it is you want to send positive emotions to that day, who you want to pray for, who you want to serve, who you want to help and you write down that one person and you're just on them with laser focus the entire day whether it be just positive emotions you send their way whether it's prayers whether it's phone call text if they're someone local you know doing something nice for them you know whether it's delivering dinner or just going up and knocking on their doors if they need help with anything and then the final two minutes are just reconnecting to self and then we finish with tapping so when we're in that state at the very end of the seven minutes we'll tap over our heart center over our wrist to create an anchor for that same feeling of peace that we developed after those seven minutes that we can then return to during times of stress the rest of the day mm -hmm. with, with with that anchor that we've set just by tapping in that same location. 
And so we then all get up and we do a giant family hug together and just hold each other for like a minute after we've done that meditation. So the whole and thing then, is eight minutes long. It, it lasts about seven. Well, with the hug and everything, yeah, it's about eight minutes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if there's, and then I'll I'll just ask you know about everybody's day. You know, and that takes like two minutes. Okay, what's everybody doing today? You know, where are you going to be here? Where are you going to be here? And that way we can plan like when's dinner going to start? When are yep. we going to meet? And then everybody's just like off to the races the rest of the day. And I work from home, so we see each other and right. you know, we, we, we cross paths throughout the day. And then at the end of the evening, like right before we go to bed, we return back to those journals. We all close our eyes. We do in the morning, it's like a six count in, six count in, or six count in, six count out breath work. Mm -hmm. In the evening, we go with a longer exhale. We'll do like a four, eight breath work. You close your eyes and you watch yourself like a movie character through the whole day. Like, how did I wake up? What did I do? What did I read in the morning? How did I spend my morning? What did I have for breakfast? What did I do between breakfast and lunch? What did I eat for lunch? You know, how did I spend my afternoon? How did I spend my evening? And the entire time you're watching yourself like a, like a movie character in your mind in the third person, you're asking yourself, what good did I do this day? Meaning, what was I, what was I proud of that character about? Where was I rooting for them? Where did I know that they were making the right decision? What could I have done better this day? I mean, where did that character fail? Where do I feel like they were more the villain than the hero? Where was I not rooting for them? Where do I wish I could have like leapt through that screen and told them to make a different decision that's not the right decision? And as we're visualizing that, you have permission to like take pauses and write down in your journal what you're discovering. And then finally, the last question we, we write down in the journals is where is I most connected to my life's purpose? Where is I most purpose-filled today? Because what happens is sequentially, as you go through that every single day, you not only identify, even if you don't have a purpose statement, even though you know, we, we all do and I think it's important, you can almost like reverse engineer your purpose statement when you're doing this practice by identifying as you go through, okay, this is where I was in the zone, smile on my face, time was flying by uh, you know, as though I had no awareness of time. I felt as though this was coming easy to me. I felt like I was using a unique skill set I was born with or doing something I was really good at when I was a kid, something that makes me happy and fills me with joy now. But you write down what it was that was the most purpose-filled activity of your day. And it, and it stacks because, you know, if there's something you failed at, like, like for me, I was writing down for like a week, didn't play my guitar today, didn't play my, like my manly guitar, not my pickle ukulele, but the full on <laughs> big boy guitar. You, you and, caught me right. And I got, I, was about yeah, to I, I got, that. I got through like a week of that. And like for a while we would share, like we would actually say what good did I do, but we decided to start keeping it private. And if you want to share, you can, yeah. but it actually not only kind of, well, it, it might, it, it might it, make it, it might make it performative almost to a certain yeah, yeah, you to think a, about, to a certain you extent. You think about sharing you, it. You, you think about it, you think about what I'm gonna, and, and sometimes it'll be something super embarrassing. You just don't wanna share it. Like you just wanna keep it to yourself and, and dwell with that and work on it yourself. But what one night, I th this was like three months ago, I go, I, we finish it all up and, and then afterwards we'll say a prayer and then we all just go to bed. Like that's after story time, that's after dinner, that's after everything. I finish writing, I'm like, I am never gonna write this down again. For the past week, I've written that <laughs> I wanted. So now, like, even if it's just two minutes, right? I'll yeah. take out, even if it's one song, even if it's like the G, D, C, easiest song on the face of the planet, I take out my guitar and I at least strum it. So I never have to be watching that movie character in my mind wondering why they're not doing that one thing. They know brings them joy. They know they love. They know just connects them to the frequency of music and the joy that they get from it but they're skipping it every day, right? And so these things stack or, you know, I was most purpose-filled when I was writing today. I was most purpose-filled when I was writing today. I was most purpose-filled when I was writing today. Oh, hell, maybe God made me to be an author. 
Mm. Maybe that's actually, you know, something that I'm going to be happy doing until I'm 90. Or at least for now. Right, exactly. Like this is the chapter in my life where that's what I need to be doing because that's what was most purpose-filled. So uh, back to your question, you know, I I think that that's another thing in addition to community building and breath work, this idea of beginning your day and ending your day, bookending the day with a practice like that, that is palatable in terms of of time investments where you're going to keep doing it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, because I tried like TM, you know, the two times, 20 minutes a day. I just like can't do it. But seven minutes in the morning, you know, four to five minutes in the evening with the family, you know, and having that accountability with the family and knowing that even, you know, the 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 young men in our house, you know, they, they can handle that and, and they, they can sit with that amount of time. It's it's pretty meaningful. So that's another big win for us. Yeah, really listening to you say that. I mean, there's truly no reason it's it, the cost benefit of what you just described is so wildly in favor of doing it yeah like there's very few things that i've ever heard that have a more favorable cost benefit than what you just described. Right. And, right? and you know it's a win too because because there's a lot of stuff that um you know that you know noodles i've thrown at the wall to see if they stick for home practices you know like whether whether or not we would share what we'd written in our journals or the amount because because we all you know read scripture every morning like how much you gonna read like is it a section is it a chapter is it a verse um what i've discovered is that for example with with the journaling practice i do it when i travel whether or not any family's around or not right because it's something that just freaking works so that's that's one metric Mm -hmm. for me is if i keep doing it even when nobody's around and you know nobody's watching it's it's something that that i know is really valuable yeah so when you have a lot of these possibilities a lot of these interests a lot of these different things and giving yourself permission to and actually structuring how you allot time to all of these various things this is something that you know i personally find challenging because Mm -hmm. i have so many things that i love to do and mm-hmm. I have so many things that I can be productive in. Yeah. And so many things like if I have an extra hour, how I spend that hour could be right. so many different options that I could that I could offer. I could create something, some piece mm-hmm. of content I could write. I could, you know, mastermind this new mm-hmm. product that we're coming out with, or I could practice pool or I could play, right. you know, play music or I could learn how to DJ, which I'm endeavoring to do. But I, there's so many fucking things yep. that it's like i'll do something but everything feels like it's on such a long loop that sometimes it'll be like fuck it's been 25 days since i played my flute but i have been doing other stuff but i feel like it's preventing me from real progress in anything it it feels like horizontal shallow living because of the number of opportunities that are presented as a result of a the connectivity that we have that enables us to dip our toes into just about any hobby or interest or book or food or uh, or skill on the face of the planet that for thousands of years we just never would have known about like we wouldn't have 
known that the sport of underwater torpedo existed. Dude, underwater or, torpedo league. Are you in one? No, I, I haven't get played in. yet. No, I'm, I'm up in Washington State, and it's not California. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's, on, it's on my radar. Or, or the 10 packages that show up at lunchtime every day at my house right before I'm about to take my relaxing lunch. And it's like three devices that I have to plug in and figure out and download the app for. And I feel guilty if it sits in the corner neglected because I know I have to get to it someday because it's part of my, quote, job, unquote, to test these things out and let the world know about whether the magnetic device that they hide underneath the solo or the, the, the silo deep in the underground works or not. And and then there's like the the two different musical instruments, the the banjo and the little miniature hammer dulcimer and the tiny didgeridoo box so you can learn circular breathing. But sure. uh, really, you know, you'd be happy with just the guitar. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and so it's hard also when you are in the position of being an influencer who's highly accessible by all these companies who are exposing you to lots of things. Companies and plus, people. Plus, yeah, all, all all the things that that everybody else gets exposed to just on social media and, 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 and the internet in terms of cool new things to learn and to do and the FOMO that you get with that. And so um, – What's what's really helped me out with that, in addition to just knowing what really satisfies your purpose in life and actually analyzing that at the end of the day and playing your day like a movie in your mind to see what minutes and what hours were wasted on things that maybe weren't that fulfilling is the idea, which I suppose I, I would say is more of a belief um, that I am going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. And I believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that heaven is not going to be a bunch of us sitting on a cloud, on a fluffy white cloud with angel wings, like bored out of our minds playing a harp or some shit, right? <laughs> or, or and, and neither do I think that heaven is going to be some amazing, blissed out, DMT-infused journey where you're just floating and you're, you have that sensation of you don't have a care in the world and you're just, you know, you're just, your body is just laid out on one giant blanket with colors going through your head and you mm-hmm. feel as though you could just lay there forever. And as, as anybody who's, who's gone through any type of significant journey has experienced that one spot during a journey where you're just like, I could be here forever. Whoa. This is amazing. I could just yeah. live with this That's, forever. This just, just happening. pure peace. Just leave me here. Just, just <laughs> leave all these molecules in my bloodstream. I'm good. I'm not guilty about not accomplishing anything in life. This is just a perfect place. I don't think heaven will be like that either. Um, I, I think that heaven will just be exactly earth as it is now, but perfect where we can still create and we can still build and we can still draw and color and take baths and play music and make love and be with our pets and do everything that I really think that we are intended to do in the first place, but in in a pure and clean and um, and toxin-free and sin-free environment where everything's just perfect. And so because of that, when an opportunity gets presented to me or a new skill or a new instrument or watercolor versus oil versus scratchboard versus sculpting versus glass blowing. I think to myself, you know what? I have infinity. I have infinity to be able to do any of this stuff because I think that that's what heaven's going to be like. And, and I realize not everybody believes that, but dude, like once that kind of like light bulb went on in my head, like that that whole idea of just being guilty about not doing all the things just vanished that's huge i mean obviously i have a different religious ideology and cosmology than you do but 
Which is why I'm going to behead you after this podcast. <laughs> Take your going bones home school. to my family. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to paint a little mark on my chest of another one I'm I took. I'm your Huckleberry. No, Let's go. Let's go. You, we'll play big tennis and then mm-hmm. Highlander. There can be only one mm-hmm. afterwards. But first, we play big tennis. Um, but ultimately, the idea that because there is some value to the stoic belief memento mori remember you're going to die because it gives mm-hmm. prescience to the to the the preciousness of the moments we have but it can also if you twist it just slightly off and and miss the point it can put you in a rush mm-hmm. you know and i feel that myself like f- i'm in a hurry way too much mm-hmm. but when you were talking you know the idea of like live like you're going to live forever there's something like my whole body just went Ah, yeah, that feels good. Right. Like, that feels really good. Let's say you're not going to live forever. Let's say it's mental trickery. It's pretty damn good mental trickery. I agree. And it it works. And, um, you know, you you do have to, as you've just alluded to, strike a balance. Like, that doesn't mean you lay in a hammock all day because you're going to live forever, so what does it matter? I mean, there's a great book called Don't Waste Your Life by an author I really like named John Piper, and he gets into this idea. Like, he never wants to be like you know 70 year old years old with his wife driving golf carts around a beach and you know fishing for hours on and like he wants to help people and love others and 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 like i I think about it this way like if you were going to let's just let's just play the game like if you were going to live forever and if you knew that you were going to experience like immense joy and the ability to do you know anything everything pleasurable on a perfect earth for the rest of all time i don't even need a fucking perfect earth i'll take right. this earth this earth right. is pretty right. rad yeah, this earth is amazing but and, yeah. and i think but, almost this is a choice to make it at least close to heaven yeah you know like you, we have that choice available yeah we we in in and my belief is that is that the world's getting better like i don't believe in the you know coming apocalypse or anything i think the world is getting better and better we've got mm-hmm. speed bumps along the way but i i'm actually what technically you'd call me a, a post-millennial christian and what that means is that I believe that all the talk in the Bible about, you know, in, in revelations about, you know, dragons and apocalypse and, you know, people think it's the Chinese black helicopters and the beast is Bill Gates and whatever. Um, <laughs> I believe all that was just prophesying the destruction of the holy city of Jerusalem and that everything you read about is just that that took place like between about 60 and 80 AD. And that uh, from that point on, the world gets better and better and better and we're not going to hell in a handbasket and yeah we we have little things that happen along the way but my belief is is this this earth is just gradually becoming more and more perfect and so i, I have a very positive mindset when it comes to that but you know back back to that mind game if you did believe that you were going to live forever and it was going to be that good and you did have all this time on your hands what would be the number one thing that you would do and the conclusion that i've come to is the number one thing that you would do is you would go tell everybody, hey, look, we you're gonna live forever. You guys like you can slow down. You can Fuck you can yeah. enjoy life. You can save your family and build community and not be grasping, grasping, grasping and and rushing and stressing. And and so basically that comes down to some semblance of the golden rule, right? If you were gonna live forever, what's the number one thing you would do? You would love others, right? Because by loving others, you're spreading that wealth, you're spreading that message. And so I think that- And love the earth too, because right. obviously like if we well, by, yeah, make by, a hell out of our environment- By loving the, the earth, you are, you are loving others. And that, that's definitely not, I mean, that, that's another thing that, that 
I'm not ashamed of when it comes to to being a Christian, but it's certainly something that I think is sad, this idea of what is called in Christianity the dominion mandate. God made the planet and handed it over to human beings and told them, take dominion over this earth that is yours. And so we build factories and, and we you know strip oil from the ground and we overfish and 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 we in some cases overhunt and and you know we eat Doritos and Cheetos and monocropped soy and weed at the church potlucks and and um the dominion mandate was a call to be a gardener to care tenderly for this planet that right. we've been placed upon and to to foster you know animal husbandry and and taking care of the soil and learning all the plants and and knowing the sacred intelligence of all the herbs and growing things that was that, that were placed around us and and instead you know the, this like post reformation scientism logic rationalism based christianity has resulted in the complete loss of a connection to the sacred intelligence of the planet and caring for it because you know god forbid we be all woo woo like the pagan shamans and be <laughs> you know whatever you know talking to to vines and and so yeah there's there's this total disconnect that i think is is kind of sad to a certain extent because well that can you know, evolve, we live we live in a magical world and, and, this, and a conversation like this is probably helping push that evolution is the thing is is that people think because the bible is fixed and no new passages are, are there that a religion like christianity isn't evolving well bullshit i mean look at the christianity of the 1700s 1600s yeah. and the or 1400s inquisition look at it now look at it from the 80s when people were yeah. still promoting hellfire and brimstone and, and gays were all going to hell and now you look yeah. at that and, and like the whole thing is evolving. It is far more living than people realize. And, and that gives me actually a lot of, I like, I like that. I like when things are like flexible and things can be replenished and refreshed with, you know, and reevaluated. Even something as simple as, as plant medicines, which are often vilified, especially in Christianity, because they are considered to be the equivalent of a lack of sobriety, of drunkenness, which is which is warned against in the Bible for what I think would be sound societal reasons, right? You don't want a bunch of drunk people walking the streets, throwing bottles at windows and getting in fights and you know, whatever. Like that makes sense, right? It's just built in societal stability. But when you go back and you look at even something like the Bible and you look at, at two different forms of, of, of cinnamon, Ceylon and, and, and cassia, you know, Asian cinnamon that, uh, that technically are acting as, uh, as, as cytochrome enzyme inhibitors and allowing for other molecules to stay active in the bloodstream for longer periods of time. And those are combined with, for example, um, uh, myrrh and frankincense and even some forms of cannabis and there's a there's actually a, a tree that's very much like ayahuasca and I, i'm acacia? blanking on the title yes the the acacia tree um there's there's lots of examples especially among early jewish practices of these type of things being used you know we read about in the song of solomon these crazy mixes that when you look at them and you analyze them chemically are technically very strong aphrodisiacs or you look have at, you ever tried to make one 
Uh, no, I haven't. You've never it, tried it's to actually on my list of things to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live forever. No, I, I have. So I vaporize sometimes organic tobacco with a little bit of cannabis with essential oils like blue lotus or nutmeg or myrrh or frankincense. I haven't done the exact recipes that are in the Bible yet because there's there's two different things that Dude, that are you, used you gotta amongst, make you gotta put oh, no, out it's, the it's, bible bag recipe I'm, I'm gonna live forever and trust me <laughs> we got it, no, bible bag volcano I, night everybody. i have an evernote document that's full <laughs> of things to make things to do and things and that's the, the, both these are on the the anointing oil and the incense used you know in in early tabernacle worship you know if if you look at the ingredient list of those you're looking at a bunch of cytochrome enzyme inhibitors and topical ingredients that when what applied transdermally, it basically allows any molecule that is co-ingested or co-applied along with it to stay active in the bloodstream for a longer period of time. So almost like an kind MAOI. Of a sim similar concept as a, as, as a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, uh -huh. right? Very, very similar concept, same, same enzyme pathways, everything. Um, but when you look at, for example, the anointing oil of myrrh and frankincense and cinnamon and cannabis and, and these different extracts that were applied uh, as, as an ointment, and then you look at what was burnt as an incense. Again, frankincense, myrrh, cannabis, things that, that would arguably be considered uh, psychoactive substances that were burned in essentially like a four-layer thick, small room, you know, the, this uh, tiny called the, the Holy of Holies, you know, inside the tabernacle, which, you know, not not to not to blaspheme or, or make this sound the wrong way, but essentially almost like a tiny hot box mm. to a certain extent. And, you know, and the priest literally like had a chain around his ankles. People could track, you know, whether or not he passed out in there from this, this heavy incense in the air that was a highly psychedelic substance. And, you know, and, and to be able to intentionally interact with the divine in that environment and for the exact instructions and recipes for those to be given out in the Bible. And then for guys like, you know, uh, Brian Roscoe wrote the, the immortality key recently, you know, showed that that very similar entheogens may have been used in things like the Eucharist, you know, in terms of the spices that were mixed with the wines. And he has a, he's a massive book about that. When you put all this together, what you come down to is, is the fact that that to disconnect ourselves, especially in, in Christianity from that sacred intelligence and from those type of, of blends that, that were used to enhance a spiritual experience or to connect more deeply with the divine. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a little bit sad and I, I in no way would argue that therefore these type of things should be unleashed upon the planet and everybody, you know, at church on Sunday morning should be drinking a, you know, Eucharist based wine spiced with frankincense and myrrh and cannabis, because I also believe that certain people are called and certain people are not sure. right the role of, of of a priest or a shaman or or anyone in that position traditionally has typically been to go to that place on behalf of the people and to come back like an oracle with, depends with the message depends on the culture like yeah. one of the cultures that i'm very familiar with which was don howard's lineage was shavin mm -hmm. and so the priests in shavin would offer Wachuma, which eventually mm -hmm. the church renamed San Pedro mm -hmm. because it was the gateway to heaven, you know? So that's why they call it San Pedro cactus, right? It's mm -hmm. incredibly hard open mescaline derived experience. But in Chavin, which flourished for about 800 years, and during that 800 years is marked by the fact that there was no sign of warfare amongst neighboring tribes mm -hmm. and communities. One of the reasons why is they would offer Wachuma to all pilgrims who came mm -hmm. through. Didn't have to pay for it, whatever. They often brought gifts, but they would just offer Wachuma to anyone who wanted to come. Big, massive ceremonies mm -hmm. of Wachuma. And that medicine in particular, I think, is 
is well suited for that. And obviously I'm sure they had a great right. technology about how to manage such a situation. But then they also had Vilca, which is a combination of 5-MeO-DMT, NN-DMT, and bufotenine. And they didn't give that to everybody. That mm-hmm. was just for the priests down in the catacombs in the black. And they right. would snort that. And that was their medicine. And then they offered it for everybody. So there's so many different ways yeah. to look at this. And I'm not saying that you know, I think any it depends medicine on the should be for everybody. It depends yeah. on the sub- like, totally. like chembane, for example, right? which is very similar to like what the, the Viking berserkers would use. That's another molecule you can find in, in ayahuasca. I mean, if you look at the flower, Amanita like, muscaria? like a Levite priest's headdress, it's the, it's the henbane flower. Right? Henbane. It's, yeah. it's not anamita, but, but, but that molecule is found similar. in ayahuasca. I don't know if it's found in anamita. I don't know if there's, there's henbane I, in anamita or not. But um, is that nicotine, by the way, that you just popped? It is. You want some? I have a piece of nicotine gum in my pocket, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to pop that right now. Yeah, let's go. I mean, if, if we're both going to be on the same substance here. Um, <laughs> so, but an example of, of what you've just alluded to would be uh, like like manna that came down from heaven, right? Which which most likely was an ergo-based fungus that mm. very similar to a lysergamide, um, technically more like an LSA than an LSD, but a fungus-like substance that falls from heaven that spoils overnight that must be therefore baked and cooked and prepared properly but you know it's very very likely that that's what manna was you know and and so yeah. technically you would have all the israelites wandering around the desert who actually had this total you know feel good chemical from from ergo from manna in their bloodstream and then that would be an example and and you know at, at the risk of you know uh uh 8000 pastors calling down hellfire and brimstone on me for (laughs) for blaspheming right now i'm not saying that there is concrete evidence that the israelites were wandering around the desert on lsd but what i am saying is that there is a great deal of evidence that plant medicines in many different formats were a an an enormous part of the the entire judeo-christian religion that i think that uh, uh, that that post reformation scientism and radical lo- you know logical thought and and this idea of, of pure sobriety you know has has kind of beaten out of us and and I think that there are more cons to that than pros. I almost you know a lot of people who've had issues with addiction in their family or mm-hmm. something they will equate doing plant medicine with drunkenness mm-hmm. you know or addiction mm-hmm. and. You know, I think in my conversations with Luke Story, who came from that, you know, and when I met him, he was in his sobriety for 15 years or something Mm -hmm. like that. And classic sobriety, AA sobriety, nothing, nothing on nothing. You know, the conversations that we've had and in my own experience, even though I've never had addiction issues, but a lot of times these medicines are what Don Howard would call clarigens. And it almost creates a hyper sobriety in which... Mm -hmm on them you're more sober than you are in your daily life when you're addicted to your drama right. you're addicted to your own thought patterns you're addicted to the conditioning of the world around you and all of these other endogenous chemicals that are keeping you locked in a certain prison of perception and all of a sudden you break through and you're like oh shit i'm awake and aware for the first time it's not an escape it's an altered comma elevated state of consciousness Correct. which is which many people who have not been in that state simply do not understand and they say well you know that's just like you had you know two bottles of wine and it's nothing <laughs> nothing at all like that it's like yeah. your brain has become a 20x supercomputer with merging of the left and right hemispheric activity and the ability to be able to creatively solve problems or to have an enhanced spiritual experience and so yeah it's entirely different but you know 
back to back to the Bible, there there are there, there's firm instructions in that book that say if this is causing your brother or sister to stumble, just leave it at the door when you're hanging out with them. Right. Like mm. like if wine is something that you know someone has a, a previous history of abuse with or addiction to, or their parents were alcoholics, or you know, there's there's some sort of negative association for them with it that would make it very uncomfortable for them or tempting for them or problematic for them if you were to consume that in your presence, you know, and that could be meat, it could be vegetables, it could be plant medicines, it could be wine, best to just leave it alone. Which sure. which I, I think is is sound advice. Um so yeah, you do need to be careful about someone's of previous course. history and their association but, but and and people can abuse plant medicines and people i've even seen one example at least of someone who is using ayahuasca as an escape and mm -hmm. then ultimately that's not the use for it and you know that takes the roots that come from the feet of being on the earth and sweating and mm -hmm. living normal life and it, he just kind of went off into the air for quite a while right. and that's like the risk of using these things as a an escapism so a lot of it is intention absolutely for sure but and it's, this, the, it's the fruits too the fruits that it produces are, are right. pretty self-explanatory and, and if someone has massively transformed their relationships in a very positive way and and their their life and their productivity and their clarity and their vision and their purpose those are pretty darn good fruits yep. in my opinion and, and isn't there and, a saying like you will know them by their fruits you will know them by their fruits in many cases you know jesus in the bible he would he would you know um you know he, he would actually you know like curse a tree that that had bad fruits you know that that had a bad vine that didn't produce um there's even a book and i think it's called the vine that gets into this like just this idea of stepping back and analyzing and this is another reason i like that that evening process of self-examination analyzing which activities are producing which fruits so that you're you're aware and yeah you can certainly tell back to the abuse of plant medicines how you know w when they're producing good fruits in someone and when they're not i, I think that's something else to pay yeah. a lot of attention to for anything in life really. you know i just had a really powerful sober encounter uh with at least maybe it was perhaps my own imagination of christ perhaps it was christ you know you never i always say whatever if i encounter an entity of being mm -hmm. You know i leave it to it might be my own projection of them or whatever mm -hmm. but i was going through and i was tapping into you know a lot of my own you know fear about certain things in life and my stress the, the fear is always behind the stress you know and where that was coming from and what i'm afraid of and there was also shame in associated with that fear and fear of fully stepping into my purpose in life fully fully accepting what i believe i'm here to do and and there was the shame about stepping into it and there's a fear of what might happen and and there is i was being kind of facilitated by a great kind of body worker who guides you through this this um, meditation and i think she helped open that conduit but jesus came through and i was in this and, and she really encouraged me to go into that fear and go into that shame and really feel it and then get help and jesus you know is kind of who i called and who came to help and Jesus came in the most loving way and he saw me in my fear and he saw me in my shame and he just looked at me and he says, me too. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most profound moments that I've had. And again, this is sober, but it was this beautiful thing of, I think we sometimes think of Jesus as only the perfect being, 
not ever having had you know these these doubts these fears this not feeling pain just being no. unbelievably courageous throughout the, but when he looked and said yeah me too i was like oh man yeah. thank god you know like yeah. oh wow you too all right i guess i'm doing okay me too like like a a, a freaking deity who had to take on like a broken human fleshly body and have to like be born and and shit his diaper and get zits and <laughs> and you know and get cuts and scars and have to you know work all day in the hot weather you know as a carpenter and then eventually you know got the the worst curse ever imaginable nailed to a tree right tortured beaten and then at that point like basically none of the pain or the shame had even started because then like he had to take on all the shame and sin and suffering that anybody ever had experienced for all like the Holocaust and Genghis Khan and World War One, World War Two, and every rape and every murder. Like he had to live through all of that in order to actually take on the sin of the world. So when you saw Jesus, and Jesus said, Me too, I mean he really, really meant it. Like I there is nothing I fucking felt shameful it. or horrific or painful. That has happened to anyone like the deepest most shameful thing that he did not experience himself and that's why you can actually like leave all that shame behind is mm -hmm. because he took on all of that so yeah the, the me too isn't just like yeah i you know whatever i i you know i got cut up too and fell and bruised my <laughs> knee when i was a kid and and you know i, I had to deal with with peer pressure no it's it's like every last torture that you can ever imagine every last piece of flesh being ripped off your body like all of that yeah and i had also you know in that in the meditation he gave me a he gave me a cross and on the cross was inscribed me too as like a reminder it was like something because mm. there was a message like i need to remember this so when i get lost in my own you know self-reproach my own self-judgment to remember like you know as as all of us because if you embrace the totality of everything you know like christ consciousness is it's it's the all it's mm -hmm. the divine and of course i'm putting in some of my own beliefs in here we'd have slightly different beliefs but the that's fundamental why we're going reality, to battle after this <laughs> yeah that's why we highlighted when we're done but fundamentally and then i i understood and that was like a beautiful reminder to me like all right me too and so it removed all that judgment but then the cross itself you know was a really powerful symbol that i haven't really connected with because i've almost i've almost taken it as just a, a signifier of your belief in christianity but you know i understood that there was that moment before you know when he knew he was going to be crucified and he still said yes you know but he was going through it that night i mean you read about it god why have you forsaken me right mm -hmm. there was this like feeling of abandonment like right. why, why is right. this my path what crying the, bloody tears yeah. right like but he still said yes and there was this amazing courage and so to me that cross was like reframed in my own mind at least is like holy shit that is a fucking symbol of ultimate courage to say yes to no matter what life throws at you right and just be like okay is is a symbol of courage and up to a certain point was it would basically be if you were to get a, t a cross tattooed on you the equivalent of getting like an electric chair or a noose tattooed on you it's like why the hell would you do that like mm. it's, it's a it's a freaking curse it's a sign of murder it's a sign of death and not only that it's a sign of like the worst death that that the worst criminal 
would be given. Like mm-hmm. even I believe it was uh, Cicero who wrote how it was the most horrific death imaginable, like a crucifixion. Why would anybody want to get something like that tattooed or like put on the door of a church or something like that? But now it no longer means that. Now it means victory. Now it means courage. Now it means, you know, complete setting aside of shame. Now it means a, you know, a new heaven and a new earth. And it's like the this symbol that went from being a curse to being a blessing, that went from being the most horrific thing imaginable to being the most glorious promise available. And so, yeah, like the the cross is something different now than I think it was before Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's a super powerful symbol now. Yeah. You know, as we go through this conversation though, we're starting to make the a lot of different different categories of things that once they're fulfilled, you'd live this rich, rich life. I mean, we've talked about community and we've talked about these meditative practices and connection to nature and then the rituals, the rites of passage that your children went through, the, you know, then everything that you're about but then also this kind of belief and this this deep belief that you have and everybody's belief doesn't have to be the same but really walking the walk of that belief not just kind of intellectually kind of believing it but like really living living in your belief and that's deeply fulfilling and then having your belief and then your purpose and then everything woven together and guiding principles like live like you're going to live forever you've painted this beautiful picture in this show of really kind of a formula for living a life that's as rich as can possibly be lived and giving the opportunity to turn this life into into heaven you know i was on tim ferris's show and he said if you were going to make a billboard you know and put one thing onto the billboard what would it be and i was like well it'd be welcome to heaven population everyone you know like like here Mm -hmm. we are everybody like here's our here we we got it like here we got it Mm -hmm. are we going to make it that or are we not you know, this right. is a, this is a choice we have, right? And 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 it does really come back down to that foundational principle that that was pretty much the essence of Jesus, and that was love other people, Just love other people. Like and and it sounds so simple, but once you start to frame everything that you do in the day, including the way that you build your business, right? Like how many lives are you going to touch? How many people are you going to love? You know, at, at the end of the day the budget does have to be attended to but will take care of itself if the bottom line is is how many people can we reach how many people can we help how many people can we love and it's the same with our personal lives too like like just this idea of not living selfishly not grasping at straws because you have that confidence that you're going to live forever and then knowing that with that life like the very best thing you can do is just go out and love other people and loving other people means loving the planet it means loving god it means loving yourself right but mm-hmm. but it's all because framed the lines the are a lot more others. blurry between all those things when we try to pretend we think oh this is me and this is my house and then this is my neighbors and my mm-hmm. it's like we make separations between this or my mind and my mm-hmm. body and my spirit everything is so much more blurry than we realize right. like we're interacting with each other's field constantly and that which we cast aside and cast judgment on it cannot escape from casting judgment upon ourselves because we're connected that right. thing that we do that's bad to somebody else that hurts somebody else hurts us even if we pretend that it doesn't you know this is the unblinding when right. we really start to see that right and 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 you know one, one thing i guess this would be my last comment on, on the living forever part is you know many people will say well 
Jesus was like you know, Mother Teresa, right, to a certain extent. Like you just live in poverty, you know, like he said to the rich young ruler in the Bible, just leave everything and follow me. So are we supposed to just like forsake our houses, forsake our wealth, forsake our families, forsake our nice clothes and just like waltz off into the sunset in the desert in our sandals to go out and just serve other people the rest of our lives? But that's, that is, I think, almost like a, a, guilt-producing version of Christianity, and in some cases, other religions, this idea that therefore our best calling is to forsake everything, including ourselves, our wealth, our success, to serve and love other people. Um, I think there's certain people that are, that are certainly called to that, but when I ask myself, like, dude, like, so, so there's a divine being and a God, and I believe that there is, and he made us, and I believe that he did. Why did he make us? Like, why did he just like throw this rock down here with a bunch of greenery and an ocean and a moon and a sun and, and some stars and then throw a bunch of people on it? And um, it's because, you know, if if I'm at home and I have this this, you know, home that I've built and this property that I've created and this life that I've given to my sons and my wife and i look out my office window and i see them like playing cornhole in the backyard and eating a popsicle and my wife sitting there in the hammock and drinking a glass of wine and maybe scrolling through some some cool stuff on this magical little box you know that's got an instagram on it and you know it's actually kind of a cool creation and then the sun's shining and the grass is green and i look out at all that and like i'm super proud and really happy about what I made for my family, right? Like, like this is really cool. I could just stand here and take immense joy out of just seeing them savor this tiny creation that I've helped to build, right? And when I think about God, you know, he makes this magical planet that we kind of fucked up a little bit, but hopefully we're, we're, we're going to get on track. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are on track. Um, you know, it's this amazing creation that he made just because it's pleasurable to watch all this, this cool stuff, you know, all these human beings and, and, you know, these people and life and the breath of life. And now they've been enjoying all this stuff and the amazing steaks and food and wine and pickleball and ukulele and mm -hmm. sitting around and talking and hearing the sound frequency of each other's voices. And after this, we'll, our taste buds will be entertained with some amazing food and, and then we'll sleep in bliss and have crazy dreams and visions and wake up and have an adventure. Like that brings a lot of, joy to the creator and so i i also describe myself as basically like a hedonistic christian <laughs> in the fact that i believe that one of the things that we can do that makes god the happiest is to savor his creation and actually like own nice things and drive a cool car fast on the highway and have a comfortable house and yes like don't live so far beyond your means that that you aren't able to love others and still have that 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 philosophy and that approach to to spreading the wealth and loving other people, but don't forget to like savor God's creation too. Like we do, kind of live in a in a fun little you know or big you know circle, yeah. and it's it's nice to also be able to savor that. So I think that you need some amount of balance between you know loving others, loving yourself, savoring God's creation, but also sacrificing yourself to others. And I think it's a balancing act. But yeah, it's a balance between 
working to save the world and savor the world yeah you know like exactly. don't get lost like on either side save the world and save the world yeah. yeah that's 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 a perfect way to put it we've been talking about living forever and you actually you know probably know a lot about the different longevity practices technology and you've probably talked to a lot of people a lot more people than i have and i know there's some people who make this their life work to figure out how to extend human life if you were going to actually you know from put on your scientific hat not your religious hat and say like all right how long (laughs) there it is (laughs) flip it around (laughs) there it is how long is a human being going to live like and what at what point do we have to get to like arrive healthy to this start point to where we get to be 150 or we get right. to be 200 right well we we know based on current epidemiological data and the extent to which people have lengthened their lifespans in like the past two to three decades we've gone from like you know 115 to like 117 121 tops and, we, and we've kind of like leveled out Right. We're, we're not going much longer than about 115 to 121 right now. Now, there are a lot of people walking the face of the planet right now, and many people have predicted that the first person who's ever going to live to 150 in a long time is already alive. And that's based on medical care. That's based on technology, everything from you know hyperbaric oxygen therapy to, to NAD to, um, to stem cell therapy to you know all of these things that are the longevity hacks that people are doing now. So theoretically, we could be extending lifespan, but from yeast to rodents to fruit flies, like... There's not a lot of evidence that we can appreciably increase far past like about 121 where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would be, I'm, I'm, I, I would be pleased if I live to 120 plus, but realistically, like it would be pretty shocking if people started living like much longer than 115 to 121 years mm-hmm. old. But there's there's a capability built into mammals and even humans. You know, if you look at the bowhead whale or the naked mole rat everything from carbon dioxide tolerance to the ability to be able to repair damaged proteins and dna that there are built-in repair mechanisms that could technically allow us to go for a longer period of time and when you look at like whatever you know methuselah in the bible or you know some some of these genealogies that go way back people living 800 900 you know years old um you also have to take into account, and and there's there's a wonderful book I'm reading right now, just about you know this tale of a massive flood where all the waters fell from heaven, and, and nearly every culture on the face of the planet has this story of some massive flood that occurs that that wipes out everything and changes the Earth's atmosphere. Well, if there was a covering of water above the planet that had changed the gases and the atmospheric pressure and a lot of things that can influence longevity and carbon dioxide in the bloodstream and the nutrient density of plants and many other factors and that all fell from the sky and flooded the planet and completely changed some of those gases and the atmospheric pressure and just the way that the earth operates that the lifespan that people were able to have prior to that event is probably no longer realistic Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's the case but but I really would be surprised if in the next few years we're seeing anything much longer than like about 121 or so. Yeah. Just based on everything that I've seen. You know, there are those people out there that are like, look, if you can make it relatively healthy another 10, 15 Mm -hmm. years, you got a good shot at 150. You know, what is the, what is the, what is the argument that they're trying to make, you know, that you think that makes that make sense? 
that when you stack a lot of these these hacks that theoretically you could repair DNA at a fast enough rate, you could stave off immune system degradation at a fast enough rate, you could stave off you know the natural mutations that are built into us you know again from a DNA repair standpoint at a fast mm-hmm. enough rate, and you can you know build up carbon dioxide tolerance and you can repair tissue more quickly and things like hyperbaric chambers and use red light therapy and all these things that when you stack all of that that theoretically you could increase lifespan yeah but it's all just like on paper right now like i haven't seen any hard evidence that that's actually possible yeah i mean like some rodents for example they're showing like a 20 to 30 percent increase in lifespan but these are like highly controlled laboratory environments with specially you know bred rats and mice and like this there's a lot of confounding variables yeah. when it comes to humans but you know, does it matter? Like, I, that, I don't think ultimately it, does it hasn't, anyway. and that's why I haven't invited you know these particular guys on my show who right. are really proposing that because I'm you know I get to I get in there in the '90s. Fuck, I'm stoked. Yeah, you know that's a long ass right. life. If, you know, if you're making maximum, like for me, it's about impact. It's not about yeah, totally. like, like if I can make the if I, if I can increase my health span to the point where the impact I'm making with whatever lifespan that I'm genetically programmed to have, approximately. Um, you know, I'm I'm super happy with that. So it, it's it's just about taking care of your body so that you can you can make the biggest impact that you can and with enjoy the life that it, and enjoy given. it for the longest. Right, exactly. So I I I think we even had this discussion before. I don't want to be one of those guys who's cold and hungry and libidoless and lives an extra. You know, let's say I live an extra thirty years, but I'm spending twenty of those extra thirty years you know, in a hyperbaric chamber or a cold tank or or fasting or you know uh, reducing my ejaculation frequency or or anything else that that we know could potentially help out a little bit with longevity like you got to draw the line at some point and yeah. so yeah i, I think i think that that especially in the health world there are people who are who are kind of returning back to to your idea a little while ago like how do i choose between all these activities they're fritting away a lot of time just trying to live a long time <laughs> yeah, when, sure. when they could just be out enjoying life and yeah. loving other people you talk about ejaculation frequency i heard something from kyle that was talking about how every time you ejaculate you're depleting magnesium and zinc through your ejaculate is not very much i don't know (laughs) if you've seen the size of ejaculate like i just did my my daddy kit recently to kind of like store my sperm and and just check up on what the count is and everything i mean um you know so i i of course got to got to witness that and the amount of minerals I'm depleting, I would imagine that by me putting some sea salt on my steak <laughs> tonight and taking a little zinc tomorrow morning, yeah. that's easily like one load right there. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that whole concept is more about like your jing, your chi, your life force. Right, right, like, right. It's more about that than nutrients or minerals because yeah, your your body does not grow through I would say anything more than like a, a very, very small meal in terms of the amount of nutrients and minerals necessary to make semen Good. or sperm. So yeah. Coming I, every day then. That's <laughs> fine. I'm back to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's this whole idea game. of giving your energy away. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I, sure. I, I I get the whole concept, but the concept is not one of nutrient or mineral depletion. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Ben, this is a beautiful conversation, man. And that, and that was a great thing to end on too. Like how much sea salt do you need to make enough sperm? Yeah. And you know, what, at what point do your <laughs> adrenal glands just not have enough to go around? And you're going to be out playing pickleball out there and you're going to cramp. And you'll be like, oh, shit, I came last night. I didn't take my sea salt this morning. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, guys. I got to go in the house. 
That's yeah. right. You know, yeah. I mean, we gotta we gotta keep it real for people. You know, that's right. Talk about that's right. All different things for your health, for your heart. Save for the world, <laughs> savor the world, and feed your semen. <laughs> Hashtag feed Hashtag. your semen. That's right. Yeah, tadpoles need to eat. That's right, baby. Tadpoles gotta eat. That's right. Uh, anything you got going on? You want to tell people about? You know what? We kind of did when we were talking about the cookbook. cookbook yeah, because yeah, like. I, don't know, I think it hits Amazon like this week, and yeah, it's got some some tasty shit in there. So it's dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've enjoyed cruising yeah. through it. Yeah. yeah, beautiful man. Cool. Great to have you, brother. Thanks, Thanks everybody for, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning into the show with Ben Greenfield once again. If you're interested in the Fit for Service Fellowship, go to aubreymarcus.com/fitforservice to apply. I hope to see some of you guys on the inside, and I will be talking to you all next week.